How are we doing, guys? We're doing good. Hope you have a good day, you know, on this day, this week, and through the challenges that we're all facing. For those of you who are watching online, so thankful that you're taking time out to be with us. Uh, we're in this two-week series called Impact, how we are given the opportunity, crazy, given the opportunity to reach out and have an impact, especially with those who are far from God. As we have been impacted, we have a chance to impact other people. And we looked at the story of Zacchaeus, which hopefully challenged us on who those people might be in our real lives. In fact, uh, I got a chance to hear a powerful story from a guy in our church named Aggie who recently went through this kind of impact because other people's eyes were open to the opportunities. And so I just couldn't wait. You need to hear this story. And so check out Aggie's story now. I didn't want to listen to what God was putting in my path and, and I was selfish and decided to run off on my own. So I ended up enlisting in the Air Force. And then 9-11 happens and we're in a conflict and we had to do everything and anything that we could to support the mission. When everything was done and over with, I had like internal uh, regrets and internal conflicts of my choices. And I just was a drinker. I was a binge drinker. I was a big drinker. October 20th, 2018, I heard God's call again. College game day finally comes down to WSU. So I have time. I decided to leave my family and I run over to the beer tent. I'm trying to hang out with the college kids. I'm already three sheets to the wind and I'm cheering and trying to get somebody to acknowledge me, but nobody's acknowledging me. And I end up being next to a garbage can. I felt like this garbage can was more like the burning bush in Moses' story, that God comes down and just talks to me. I just hear the voice, what are you doing? Why are you here? Don't you know your family loves you and they're just there in the stands waiting for you? It changed me at that moment. That was the final drink I have had. What came from there was isolation. I was not connected with anybody. I was not connected with the community. I was what AA would call a dry drunk. I was able to function. I was able not to drink, but I hadn't dealt with the pain. I hadn't dealt with the internal struggle. By the grace of God, Adam shows up trying to buy my car. <laughs> I was posting on, on the corner. He challenged me to show up and give CR a chance by going and, and accepting challenges and saying yes. Uh, my life has changed. My life has drastically changed. The people around me notice the difference. My kids now know their father. We share stories now and pray and talk and interact. There's peace, there's love. There's compassion, there's grace. I've been able to help others and reconnect and build a community and, and have a support system. I'm thankful for the challenge. I'm thankful for listening and I'm thankful for accepting and saying yes. Isn't that awesome? 
That's the picture of the gospel. That's the picture of the good news. That's the picture of what we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about on this day. Uh, in fact, uh, hopefully you got a chance you know, to listen to the video that I promised to be sent out this past week on masks and vaccines and, and again, to help us all navigate this challenging season. And if you didn't get it and you're wondering what I'm talking about, please come see myself, put it on you know, a connection card, let a pastor or somebody know in the lobby or online, put it in the chat. We'd love to make sure that you get that in order for you to see how we're trying to navigate this by trying to honor God, honor his people, and honor the mission he's called us to be and do. Now, every year, um, as elders, uh, we talk to a bunch of people, and we begin to process, God, are you leading us to actually invite another elder to join our team? Are you leading us? Uh, is there another godly man amongst us that, that has just been so faithful in how he's living and how he's leading in so many areas that the Bible talks about in the New Testament? And so we always sit down every year in the fall and just process through just a whole list of names and we just pray and we pray and we pray and we have discussions and then we begin to invite people in the process. And it is not an easy process. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, it's almost a year-long process to get to this point. You know, but one man you know, has gone through this process and has proven himself to be faithful to Christ, to his family, to our church, to the mission of what God has called him to be and do. And his name is Seth Short. And so we want to introduce, as part of our bylaws and the way that we you know, um, have run things here, we're an elder-run church, meaning that we are asking you over the next week to give us any information that might disqualify Seth from being a candidate to move forward as an elder. And so here's what that means. You have to actually write something up, and then you actually have to sign it. Anybody who doesn't sign anything, it gets thrown away, and then you'll be followed up with by an elder or the elder team if there is a biblical objection. I don't want to hear he doesn't have enough hair. That's not a biblical objection. That is a personal preference. So we want a, a biblical objection. See, we're getting along already. It's a biblical objection in order to be able to move forward. And as we walk through that, if there's no biblical objection that can be substantiated, then two weeks from this day, we'll be introducing Seth and bringing his wife, Julie, you know, on stage, laying on hands and specifically designating him as an elder. And so we're very, very excited, you know, about presenting him to you on this day. Uh, now, I want, I want us to think as we start, you know, uh, on this second week of this impact part two, I want you to think for a second the most impactful thing that someone has done for you. Now, last week I asked, who's the first person that comes to mind when I say someone who's impacted you? Now, it could have been something great, it could have been something small, but I want you to process for a second who is someone that has impacted you the most? What was some, somebody that just was so significant and so impactful in your life? And what was it that they did? What was it that they did? I need to tell you, when, when Caroline and I uh, were over a little over four years you know, into um, our marriage, uh, we were so excited uh, because we had gotten pregnant. And so we're just like, wow, we can't believe this. And yet it wasn't until about seven to eight weeks later that we went in and we were told that she was going to suffer a miscarriage. And it was just devastating. 
You know, we're 25 years old at the time, and we've never gone through anything like this, and I felt so helpless as I watched my wife just go through the physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering that she was going through and the suffering that I was going through, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what was so impactful about that specific day and, and season in our lives is there were some dear friends of ours who worked at the church with us named Don and Bridget Brewster. And they lived, happened to live down the street from us. And you know what they did? They called us up and they said, you're coming over to our house. And we said, okay. So we went over and they gave us a meal. And then they let us watch movies together. And we laughed and we cried, and we watched some more movies together. I think we watched the entire Godfather series, I think, if I was going to be specific, you know, just to get our minds completely numb and completely off of what was going on. But here's what I can tell you. God used them in a very specific way. They didn't have to say anything. Their very presence just brought comfort in our lives at a time where we really needed it and will forever be grateful now, if something like that has ever happened to you, here's what I can say, is that when Don and Bridget, if they ever went through any little struggle in their life, I'm talking a little, something that I'm like, they might need a little encouragement in this day. They may, might need uh, some help you know, to move. They might, might need somebody to come alongside them, anything. Guess who was the first to jump in with excitement, right? It wasn't out of obligation or guilt or I need to give back. I was waiting and I was longing for the opportunity to be able to say, I want to express my love and appreciation in a specific and tangible way because you express love and appreciation when we needed it the most. And isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Not out of guilt or obligation, but out of sincere love. See, here's the reality. The deeper the impact, the more life-giving it is to give back. The deeper the impact in our lives, the more life-giving it is to give back to those who have given to us. And the greatest part, one of the greatest parts about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is the model of what true impact looks like, isn't he? He is the model. He shows through his words and actions how he impacted people who would never be the same again. He gave life, purpose, legacy-defining impact to those who would come after him. So the question is, how did he do it? It might best be illustrated uh, in a conversation that probably was a little tense and awkward you know, for the, his followers, specifically his disciples. You see, in Mark chapter 9, we read, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, hey guys, what were you discussing on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. That's awesome because that's what competitive people do. Okay, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Oh, you're a good ping pong player? Adam, Hebe, I bet I could beat you in ping pong in my dreams. You know, but I bet I, we could talk smack about it, about who's better and who's greater. And this conversation, but it seems so ironic and silly that these guys are trying to figure out who's the greatest disciple of all of us. But this is what we're left with. And Jesus sits them down. He calls the 12 over to him, and he says this. Look, guys, it's not bad to want to be great. It's not bad to want to be first. 
You notice he doesn't reprimand them for that. He doesn't say, don't try to achieve. Don't try to excel. Don't try to be great. Don't try to be first. That's not what he says. Notice what he says. Whoever actually wants to be first, let me show you the path, must, be the, must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. See, whoever wants to be great must take the place of a servant. So my question for you is, do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? Now, now some of you will instantly say, no, 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 I really don't want to be great because you have an image of what greatness looks like or should be in your own minds. But I'm going to challenge you in that because I guarantee you you're wrong. Let me ask you some specific questions. Do you want a great marriage? Do you want a great family? Do you want great friends? Do you want a great job or a great business? And it goes on. Do you want to be great in any area of your life that involves other people? Because Jesus says that it comes through serving. See, greatness is faithfulness in action with opportunity. That's what it looks like. Now, there's a, there's not been this message that, that has been kind of spun out here in the United States. It's usually the opposite message. If you want to be great, you actually have to climb this certain ladder. You have, sometimes you have to sacrifice your family in order to be great. Sometimes you have to sacrifice other people. You have to step on them a little bit. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and there's this almost innate push that's actually not healthy. And yet recently, here's what's fascinating, as they start discovering some of the greatest companies and the greatest leaders who are even not Christians, they're discovering that maybe Jesus' principle was right from the beginning. In fact, there's a very popular uh, um, leadership guy that's, that, that's, that's around named Simon Sinek. Now, Simon Sinek has, has done a number of TED Talks you know, on leadership and on impact and some of these other things, but uh, he tweeted this, leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of those in your charge. Leaders put people first, is what he says, and he's not a Christian. Could it be that aspects of our society is actually stumbling upon how to actually achieve greatness is not by just looking at yourself. It's not bad to want greatness. It's not bad to try to excel, but it's actually going to come through service and it's actually going to come through sacrifice. If you've been around here for very long, you know that I'm kind of a sports guy. So uh, I think about, you know, a lot of things kind of make sense when it comes to sports. So I, I think about a quarterback, right? A good quarterback does his job well. But a great quarterback serves and helps others do their job on the team, and then the team wins, which means he, he excels. A good owner of a business does his job well, but a great owner serves the employees who he works with or her at their company. A good husband does his role in the marriage well. That's what a good husband do. But a great husband finds ways to serve his wife so that she can do better in her role. Does this make sense? You can be good or we can become great. Uh, Jesus tells us another story where the disciples kind of mix it up. Uh, um, in fact, this is a story about uh, two of Jesus' closest followers named James and John. Now, they got a nickname called Sons of Thunder. Okay, how do you get a nickname called Sons of Thunder? Well, you're probably going to be a little bit outspoken. You're probably going to come into a room and you're going to command attention. That's what thunder actually means. And so these guys are that way. And so they approach Jesus because they have a request. And the request that they have is we want to be seated when you enter into your kingdom. They're thinking at this time earthly. One of us on your right and the other on your left in the seat of power. 
and position. Here's the best part about the story. They didn't have the courage, O sons of thunder, to ask the question themselves. They sent mommy. These are grown men. And the grown men, the mother comes and says, Jesus, I have a request on behalf of my sons. That's hilarious in and of itself. We can be able to process that. There are some issues in the home. You got to kick out your adult children, people, you know, because this is what happens. You know, you're still taking them to Jesus and they need to go to themselves. Anyway, so Jesus says, okay, okay, let's talk about this. You know, he asked them a question. Are you going to drink the cup of suffering? Because you have no idea what you're talking about. And they're like, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. And he's like, yes, you will drink that cup of suffering that I'm talking about. But it's not even for me to determine who's going to sit on my right and left. Jesus is talking about his kingdom in all eternity, the heavenly kingdom. They're thinking earth earthly kingdom, which is obviously why they think they're following Jesus, because he's going to overthrow the Romans, and we get to establish a new kingdom. But understand this, is that after this, this conversation happens, guess who hears about it? The other 10. And the other 10 disciples are a little ticked off that they didn't go to Jesus first. That's Dan reading into the text a little bit, I'll be honest. But they're upset because how can you ask Jesus such a thing? So they begin to argue amongst themselves. Jesus gathers his disciples again and says, don't, he says this, don't become like the rulers in this world who lord it over people. The officials who flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be a first must also become your slave. It's number two. And then he says this powerful phrase. I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not doing, Jesus says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Twice now, he's tried to tell his followers You want to be great, you want to be excelling, you want to be a leader. The way of leadership is actually through service. The way of impact is actually through service. But that's not the only time. He tells them one more time because obviously they're not getting it. So the night before Jesus is going to betray, he's in the upper room. And as he walks in and they begin to have their meal, Jesus gets up from the table because he notices that something has not happened. And the thing that's not happened is all of their feet is dirty. Now, in that day and age, you walk on dusty roads. There's no concrete. They're not clean. And it's not just people that walk on dusty roads. Guess who else walks on dusty roads? Animals. Animals don't stop and use the bathrooms. They just go as they're going. So you got some nasty feet that you're dragging into the house, which is why in biblical times, it was the lowest of the servants whose actual job is when you entered, they would actually wash your feet feet upon entering to the house. None of the disciples did this. Jesus gets up, puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash all of his disciples' feet. And this is the night before he's going to go to the cross. And he gathers them, and he gets all through it. Peter objects. He goes all through that. And then he gets to verse 12 in John 13. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down, and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that is what I am. But since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to watch each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done for you. If you want to make an impact, we're going to have to embrace the way of service. Serving is what leads to impact. So allow me to say it this way. The level of impact, if you're a follower of Christ 
that we have in others is determined by the level of impact that God has had in our lives. If you know about God, you're going to have an impact to others as you tell them about God. If you have experienced God and you have allowed him into the deep places of your life, God will use that in the great lives of other people because it's not something that you're talking about hypothetically, it's something that you have experienced. I mean, imagine this scene. Jesus goes into a religious leader's house and as he's in there and seated, the Bible says an immoral woman comes in And she begins to wash his feet with the tears that are coming from her eyes and begins to dry them with her hair. Okay, that word immoral woman indicates that she was probably a prostitute and she's coming in and the the Pharisees, religious leaders, like, oh my gosh, if he's really who he says he is, he would know who's touching his feet. This is so awful. And yet Jesus says, I tell you, be in the woman's shoes for just a second. Her sins, and they are many, let's be honest, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? How ostracized in that culture that she would have felt And how this religious leader, to her understanding, this rabbi, this person that you and I know as God in human form, has looked at her and says, I love you and you're forgiven anyway. What do you think when given the opportunity to love Jesus, what she would do and how quickly she would jump into that? The amount that we have allowed God to impact our lives really dictates the amount we're willing to jump into other people's lives because here's the reality. If you want to love Jesus and realize how he has impacted us, we have got to be willing to receive that and then we're able to impact other people. In fact, Romans chapter five says it this way, when we were utterly helpless, all of us, not just this woman, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Have you realized the impact of what Christ has done in our lives? Do you realize that while you and I were still enemies, we were sinners, we were separated, we had no way by good works or good deeds to get us back with the Father. What Jesus has done, have you ever sat in that and allowed that to wash over you in obedience to Jesus Christ? The deeper the impact, the more deeply you and I will impact other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When we receive the impact, the love, and the connection from God... As in a form of gratitude, not obligation, as a form of honor and not this heavy weight, we are then off given the opportunities to impact others to the levels that we've been impacted by God. That's crazy. 
As God has impacted you and comforted you and healed you and changed you and challenged you, God gives you and I the opportunity to impact others in that same way. That's good news, my friend. See, let me get a little bit more practical. It was Jesus' idea that, he, that the church has set up. This isn't a man-made idea. It was Jesus's. He's the one that said, all right, I got an idea for what the family of God could look like. I got an idea. In fact, one of the ways I can describe it to you guys is it's like a body. There were a group of people, and it's like a human body, and we have different parts of our bodies But every part is important to make up the body. The body doesn't function to its full capacity until every part does its work. See, God has called every person to have an impact in and through his church. There's ways in which we can serve others. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, all of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a part of it. So what part of the body has God called you to impact others with? What part are you playing Uh, Now, I understand, you know, the the hesitation, the things that stop us from serving Jesus as two primary things. And let's go back to the first conversation. It's what the disciples argued about. It is competition and comparison, right? We're like, well, I can't do it as well as these people on stage, so I can't be part of the worship team. I can't do things that I see other people doing. And there's this comparison thing that just kills the opportunity of what God wants to do through you as he has impacted you to impact other people. Some people might say, oh, actually, Dan, it's, it's not that, it's time. I just don't have time. Well, that's n- never a good reason because it's never a amount of time. It's always a matter of priority. We always have time for things that we care about, the things that we love. See, if you get nothing else out of this conversation... Be like Don and Bridget Brewster. When you think about the people in your life who have impacted you the greatest and you take a step back and you find out they're in need or an opportunity to serve or willing to jump in and serve, Jesus has impacted us far greater than any impact we've ever had in our lives And if we've received that impact, wouldn't we see it as a joy instead of a burden, an opportunity, instead of a weight to be like, I get to serve Christ by serving and impacting other people? See, we impact people by reaching people far from Jesus. We impact people, though, by being a part of his church and finding ways to serve and impact other people for all eternity. See, I imagine that Jesus had a vision for his church. And his church would be a place where everyone found their part to play. That everyone found their part to play in loving Jesus and serving others with great joy in whatever season that God has them in. And can you imagine for a second if every person who's a follower of Jesus got involved and fulfilled a role that was given to you or that you jumped in to fulfill that God has to impact other people, what that would mean as we all did this together. See, I don't know what, uh, what you believe about uh, team sports, but football is the greatest team sport that's ever been invented. Come on. It ain't baseball. That is boring. 160 games. 
I'm just saying, it's not, it's not a great team sport. It's a team sport. It's not Basketball, well, if you have one great player or two, you can go far. But here's about football. It just takes one of 11 guys to screw the whole thing up. If everybody doesn't know exactly what they're supposed to do for the eight seconds that they're supposed to do it, it just takes one, and you got to get 11 guys on the same page for one thing to go well. There are so many more things that couldn't go well. And that's the same with the body. We don't function the way that Christ has called us to function because we're not all involved in the specific areas that God has called us to be involved because we all think maybe that we should be doing other things or we don't have time or it's more fun watching other people do it. So we want to sit in the stands, right? We want, to, we want to look out and we want to see, well, those, man, whoo, God, you're doing great with that group of 11 men and women. Wow, they're doing amazing stuff. Or you're on the line going, man, I want to be the quarterback. But you can't throw. But I still want to be the quarterback. You know, because they get the spotlight on them. Or I want to be the receiver. I'm like, you can't catch, but you can block. And the receiver can't block. And the quarterback definitely can't block. Tom Brady is old bones. He cannot block worth anything. He can throw, though. You know, he's pretty, pretty good at that. Here's what I just want to remind you. As you process through this week, all I'm asking you to do is sit back and think about how Jesus has impacted your life. And out of love and grace and compassion, we get an opportunity to impact other people. What part are you playing as part of that body? In fact, even more specific and tangible, I'm gonna give you 30 seconds, whether you're online or whether you're here. And you might be online right now thinking, what are you talking about? I'm online. I, there's not a part that I can play until the COVID variant is completely wiped out and this whole COVID thing is done. That's not true. There are so many opportunities online midweek from home that is needed if you would just reach out. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go online even right now. Grab your cell phones. And go to vrl.church slash serve for a specific and tangible way to jump in and be a part of what God is doing. In fact, we're going to see, as you just take, I'm going to get 30 seconds of silence just to pull it up on your own screen and just start scrolling. And I'm going to see what God does in your hearts, whether you're watching online or whether in your room, in the room right now. And then I got one little thing and then we'll wrap up. So 30 seconds. Ready? Go. Why is silence so awkward? I have no idea. We're in a culture that has so much noise. Let's begin to embrace even some of that silence. Guys, these last couple years have been really tough for a lot of people. But what's made it manageable and what's allowed us all to get through is that we've not gone through it by ourselves. Jesus has been with us the entire time and so have other people who are followers of him. 
as we continue to move forward, and as we even look at vision night that's, that is Sunday night, we have an opportunity to realize what we can do together because of what Jesus has already done for us. Think about that impact. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for leading, guiding, directing our steps. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us, lead us, and guide us to what that looks like. And if we're already serving, I know so many people are serving and so many people are doing so many things so well for your kingdom. Father, may we not overextend ourselves. May we truly be looking out for other people who can join us in the opportunities that you give for us to serve. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.